What's going on? I'm Scoot Bronson. And I'm S. Foster. And you're listening to the Viewers Anonymous podcast. What's going on with you, bro? Oh, man. Yo, straight up excited for this one, man. This is uh something that we actually talked about for a while. Like, <laughs> actually, like, this was one of those ones where uh, if it's been people that's been with us since the beginning, this was one of those ones that we talked about before we went on, what, like a, like a three, four months hiatus. And it was like, this was one of the things yep. that we talked about. This was about. supposed to be one of the early ones. Yeah, yeah. This was, I think this was actually supposed to have been like the third episode. And it just like, you know what I'm saying? Yep. We never got to it, but we rocking and rolling <laughs> it now. And I'm extremely excited to get this one in. Yeah, man, it's, you don't get too many opportunities to see something that was put together this well, man. Um, yeah, I'm excited with you, man. Yeah, man, and, and these and doing these type of episodes, it's 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 a, it's a lot more difficult to do because I feel like anytime you're doing a series, you know, and this would be our second one. Um, you know, we did uh, we did Hunters on uh, the first time around that was on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And uh, so this time, you know what I'm saying, we're taking a page out of the Netflix book, and we doing a series this time on my hunters, man. And this this was one of the most, like, you know, I got a habit of doing this, and this is definitely in my at least top three Netflix shows that they never came out with, man. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, man. It's, like I said, man, it's, it's not often you get a chance to see something like this put together especially put together so well. Um, when I had first watched it, I didn't know exactly what it was. I thought it was like something different. I thought it was like Area 50 type shit. And then once I got into it and started watching it, I just instantly got hooked. And um, man, I I, <laughs> I was just, I was ready for it every episode. I'm like, yeah, this, this is the one. I, I think I binge watched it in a weekend. Dude, I think I did the same thing. And and then it's it's <laughs> it's nice, but it's upsetting at the same time. Cause it's like you, you get yeah. these, you get to start, you start watching it, and it's so captivating and it pulls you in so much that it's like, and then Netflix gets you with the automatically starting the new episode shit. So it's like it don't even really give you that chance to be like, nah, man, I'm gonna save this one for later. That bitch already started playing. So you're like, well, I'm going to go ahead and watch this one. And then you watch it in the weekend. And you're like, nah, fuck this shit. They need to give me a season two. <laughs> like in two months. And it's like, that's not how that shit work. Like, it don't work that way. <laughs> and like, that's how right. I was, man. I finished it so fast. And it was like, fuck, man. It was like, man, I need some more of this. And then, but the great thing about it was they was able to get a new season Within, I, th- I think it was a two-year uh, frame because the first season came out in 2017. Yeah. And um, the last season came out 2019. And I think the when you look at the writing, you know, the way it was shot, I mean, you got to include the, the locations. You got to talk about the costumes, the directing, mm-hmm. like everything that was put into it. It seemed like, like two years, I think it really takes that much to get that type of work done. And I think that they did it perfectly. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
when you look at the when you look at the show, man, and you know what I'm saying, you're talking about the writing and you look at the the way that everything is is kind of placed within this whole realistic world because it's not necessarily the real life events, but you know what I'm saying, it's all based around real life events. But the way that they had put everything together and, and made this all happen, it was really just like a, a dope ass account of some shit happening in the FBI, you know, like a lot of times you really see, like, and personally, you know what I'm saying, to, to sit down and watch like this, I, I, I want to say it's a psychological thriller, but it's not even a thriller, it's more like a, a psychological mystery. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can, yeah, really, yeah, I, I can like see that. A, like for them to, I know, but you know, what I'm for them to, to place everything the way that they placed it. I mean, it was dope as shit, man. You know, what I'm saying to use real life people and you know this this story around it, and the and to like you said to shoot it the way they did, and you know, what I'm saying the the excitement of it all, and you know, what I'm saying it was a couple twists that was put in there too. So I mean, it it was all you know, what I'm saying it was all pretty exciting, man. Yeah, man, and like even even the way even the way it started, it was one of those you know type of negotiating situations, and and you introduced the holding forward, like you know you see him talking to this dude, and like he knows exactly what to do, he knows exactly how to deal with this guy, and so the mm-hmm. guy like he wanted his girlfriend there, and he had you know, was it, it was a kid. I think he had that kid with him. And yep. he knew if the girlfriend was there, the dude, Holden Titches was to kill himself in front of the girl. And I think Holden knew that from the rip. But he wanted to try to save the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And he lost a hostage, without a hostage, but, he, you know, he lost his perpetrator. And I think that for a guy yeah. to be the way that he is, because you can tell when you look at his apartment, the way that he does his clothes, he wears the same thing every day. He always got a tie mm-hmm. on. He never wants to switch anything up. And like you see the ADD in him. And for him to lose that first person, and then you start to realize, which was pretty early in the episodes, where it show you how he is like very ADD about things. And it's like, yo, this is going to be like, this is going to be something to really pay attention to. And My Hunters is one of those shows where. Even my second time around of rewatching it, I didn't pick my phone up, man. Yeah, it's that's the same here, man. I, I don't think I I was on my phone once. Like I said, I'm activating with, like you said, as soon as it comes on, it's instant. You know, what I'm saying it ain't like no drawn out story. It ain't no extra stuff to where it's a build up. It's just like right to the punch. And it introduces you to the main character in a in a way that, you know, so like a lot of shows don't do. You know, so they usually draw it out and then, you know, you go through three or four backstories before you really get the understanding of that. But you know what I'm saying? Like in this one, come to it, you ought to, you know what I'm saying, you know what he does. You you can kind of get a feel for his personality and who he is. You can get you can actually just kind of get a feel of like you said the whole AD concept like 
for him to have that and for him to be so meticulous with everything that he's doing. And then you could tell that he's like, in a sense, he's like a, a Sherlock Holmes type character. Like he kind of, you know what I'm saying? He's kind of deducing everything as it's happening in real time. And he's like kind of getting the solutions as it's coming along just as fast. And for me, I think that he was, he, the, the actor was great in this. First off, the, the actor did his thing, but just the, that character in general, I think the the way that they wrote that character was amazing. <clears throat> so, um, so everything is basically just to give a quick synopsis. Everything is basically um, these two FBI agents. They are basically put into this um, this subdivision of the FBI, which eventually becomes like um, the the intelligence interrogation division of the FBI. Um, they build this they build this program up, and they get help from. I think she's like a is she like a psychiatrist yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah, doctor yeah. or something uh, like that. She's from. Philadelphia. I forgot what she actually did when she was in Philadelphia, but yeah. um, but yeah, Doctor Wendy Ford, like when she right. she was a doctor though. Okay, yeah, but I yeah, think so her doctor was, was in um, I think it was in um, no Doctor Carr, um, Doctor yeah. Wendy Carr. I think it was. I think her doctor was in psychology though, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah, that makes sense then. So she was, you know, what I'm saying she was um. Like a some like a psychiatrist or whatever, they put these three together to basically kind of profile um, murders and you know what I'm saying. Um, well, mass murders really, not just regular murders, but mass murders. Um, you know what I'm saying. I guess you could say super criminals, just the the type of criminals that you know what I'm saying at the time were becoming famous. You know what I'm saying out for the murders that were getting too much press and you know what I'm saying that people that you know like the most wanted and all that and they were helping to basically develop this database of America's top um criminals and I think that the way that they you know what I'm saying did that was kind of dope because they eventually started going to some of these you know what I'm saying criminals that um that we know of and they were locked up and they were interviewing them and interrogating them and asking them questions and really getting inside their mind of how they think and using that to basically um, go on this this rat race of chasing this killer that eventually we find out is the uh, BTK killer. Yeah, like, because what they were doing, like, it, it was so interesting for them to even team up uh, holding forward mm -hmm. and build tents the way that they did because they was, like, total opposite of the spectrum. Like, they yeah. had absolutely nothing in common. Tense was an older guy. He was, you know what I'm saying, family man, holding. He's, I mean, really barely even had a girlfriend, no kids. And he right. just, like, obsessed with, like, <clears throat> making change and obsessed of, like, reaching his goal and that he wanted to be, like, in the FBI. And, like, Tense was just really, like, it seemed like he was just a really by-the-book type of guy. And mm -hmm. it was like, so the FBI team them up to go around and teach these tactics to yeah. cops, you know, so they just traveling around 
like that's how they even started being on the road. Like they were just going on the road to just, you know, teach them these certain tactics to try to get them to before they even came up with the term serial killer, because in the seventies it wasn't a such thing. Like they didn't come right. up with that terminology yet. So they was going around and doing that. But what ended up happening is these cops would tell them about these cases that they got going on. So they started mm-hmm. to come up with a thing to use these type of tactics like in present time to see if they could actually catch a killer because like you said they was going around and talking to guys that was already locked up so they yes. were using the tactics from talking to these guys and it also helped them the biggest help was them talking to Kemper because mm-hmm. Kemper was very uh, forthcoming like he loved to talk about the damn crazy shit that he did now he was he was super interesting though. He was the he I was. think he was the most interesting out of all of them. Yes. I think I think I think he was too. And with him being so forthcoming about it, and like I think that it, it captivated Holden in a way where like they they did build like this crazy type of friendship type of thing. Mm-hmm. And like and I don't think that Holden really like looked at him as a friend but it was like Kemper he actually looked at him like as a friend because of the way that they was able to communicate these type of things and it was weird to watch that interaction with them because the thing like every time I seen them two on screen like I just never remember like I can't think of the last time where I can watch something and I could just see two people and well three people because well Tinch didn't want to go Yes, yeah, so they didn't really was, do too much. Yeah, especially when it came to Kemper. He felt like Kemper yeah. was really a kind of a waste of time. But he didn't yeah. really want to do it from the beginning. But what ended up happening was, like, Tish got, you know, he got pulled in. Like, I think it's a hard thing not to get sucked in. Like, mm-hmm. like if, 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 if we're going around and we interviewing these, I mean, look how much America is attached to these type of people. Like, how many things did they put out? On um, what's my man named Ted Bundy? Oh, wait, you know what I'm saying? yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I watched all of them shits. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it's like, so it's like they, they putting this stuff out. But I will say, speaking of that, the shit, the one that with uh, with Zach Efron, yeah, I heard that amazing. I got yeah, I new look. I never thought Zach Efron was like, you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't really get the whole thing with him, but like. He really showed me mm-hmm. range in this. Like I was like, "Yo, okay, yeah. I see the talent that they was talking about." But um, but to get yeah. back to it, like tension, like he wasn't really into it at first. But then, like, it's got to be hard to balance family, job, and the type of shit that they was doing because, like, this type of stuff that they was doing could affect the future. So it's like. My whole thing with that was like I, I I really didn't like how Tinch wife was acting to a lot of the stuff. Like I felt like I get it, he's away, yeah. but it was kind of like, I mean, is this something that you really want to do right now? Like this ain't something that that could hold off. But a lot of that is really season two. But what was your I got a question for you. What was your initial mm-hmm. reaction to the girl that Holden was dating 
throughout season one. Um, I thought it was odd. Just the just the, the fact that he he eventually attracted a girl to me. Could have I could it could have did without everything. I mean, she eventually became like a, I guess like a, a way for him to open up and you know what I'm saying like be a little bit better. But for just for <clears throat> just for his personality, I just thought that that was odd. But um. You was talking about Kemper, and I think that out of all of those people, well, out of all of the criminals that they interview, I think that Kemper, to me, um, for me, that that relationship, to me, I felt like it was more so of like a friendly rivalry than it was a friendship. Okay. Um, I thought because it was... And it may have Holden kind of went into it as well, but I don't. I didn't really see it starting off as a friendship, only because at first it was one of those things where it was like Kemper, you know, what I'm saying Kemper kind of set the he set the tone for it, you know, what I'm saying he wanted to kind of test them to in order for them to really get, you know, what I'm saying everything that he was willing to give them, and then like eventually you started to see. What because what ended up becoming like um, a mental game of chess between you know what I'm saying the two and they was going back and forth with you know what I'm saying with Holden trying to get the information from him which he you know what I'm saying eventually would do and then you know what I'm saying with Kemper just basically trying to see that you know what I'm saying trying to see if he was worthy of getting this information and and for me I just felt like it was more so like a a, a game of wits than it was. Um, then it was like a, a, a friendship thing. But that that relationship between uh him and the girl, I <laughs> I I didn't understand that at all. It just it seemed kind of odd and out of place to me. Like what was what was odd to me about the relationship was because I, I liked her character because I felt like he needed a girl to like if 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 Holden had a girlfriend, like he needed a girlfriend to be aggressive, like she was, like he needed a girl mm-hmm. to pull him out of the, those type of habits that he had. Like she would like make fun of him for always wearing a suit and tie. Like she would try to force him to buy another pair of shoes. Like mm-hmm. like all this type of stuff. I felt like he needed that type of stuff to. I mean, you shouldn't do things to fit in with society, but like. Holden was so odd. He was so caught up in his work. It was like he needed just a little bit of like, you know, a little bit of chill. And I felt like she gave that to him. But what I thought was odd was the fact of how much he shared with her about the cases that he was working. Because that's that's, that's what I like. That's what I'm saying. It was was just odd. Yeah, because it's like my my interpretation is like those jobs are pretty like top secret. Like Mm -hmm. it ain't shit that you're supposed to be sharing with people. Especially right. somebody that you didn't even marry, like you know what I'm saying. This and that's what I'm saying. Like, and then in a, in a weird way, she was like kind of helping him with the shit. And it was just, it, it was just too odd for me, bro. Yeah, I, I felt like it, it was kind of wild, but I think that what was what was really crazy about it was that he's talking to these dudes who commit these sexual crimes to these women, uh-huh. and then he would. 
find similarities to some of the things that they were saying that he was using like those same tactics on his girl. Yeah. And it was just like, you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes it wasn't nothing. And then sometimes it was something. Then it turned out to be something. But mm-hmm. it was like, it was, it, yeah, like, I, I just wanted your opinion on it because I remember watching it and it's just like, this relationship seems so odd. And it's like, I didn't understand her attraction to him. Like, I got his attraction to her, but I didn't right. get her attraction to him. Well, and that's it what was I just, that's it was a, just weird. And that's I just one of the like, things. That's one of the things I was hinting at with um with the Kemper situation. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I mentioned Kemper because to me that was that was the, the person that he was really going toe-to-toe with. But any any of these conversations that they were having or any of these interrogations that they were having, it always seemed like it was a it was like a, a mental a mental chess game between Holden and, and the criminal. And I think what what the the show kind of did in a in a small way, probably without even really intentionally doing it, was just showing you how similar, you know what I'm saying, that that these two entities can be. You know what I'm saying? Like we knew Holden wasn't going to um he he wasn't going to, to go into this like sexual deviant mode and then like, you know what I'm saying, like have sex with a girl and kill him. <clears throat> but just the fact that he had the mental capacity to even do some of the shit that they were doing, it kind of showed you that, you know what I'm saying? Like they were both on the same level. They just kind of took two different paths, you know what I'm saying? To get to where they were eventually at. Yeah. And and I think that they, that their motivations was totally different. Like Holden, yeah. he was very, like he was so caught up in his work. Like he, he was, he was obsessed with his work. You know, the same way that these, killers was obsessed with doing the things that they was doing so like right. yeah i see what you're saying by the similarities but they just took different routes and mm-hmm. like when you sit back and you watch like the way holden would light up to get something that he wanted when he would talk to these these uh serial killers but mm-hmm. then like this is the only thing that was really that was upsetting to me was the fact of i feel like like the whole intentions of what they were doing was like the line that Tense used, how can we understand crazy if we don't talk to crazy? So it's like the only way to understand them and try to, you know, use these tactics to try to catch them is we have to understand how they think. So when Holden would think the way that they think and talk the way that they talk, they would get on the Holden. I'm like, well, I mean, that's the type of language that they know. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, I didn't understand. I, now, I think it's because it was the 70s, and I think that, you know, just certain things were just politically correct, so they right. didn't really want some of the stuff to be, you know what I'm saying, on tape, but I'm like, if to get them to talk, if this is the best way to get them to talk, like, I don't see what the problem was. So I, I just thought that that was, I think that it had to do with being PC in that time frame, I think that had a lot to do with them getting upset with Holden the way that they did because Holden found himself really on the verge of getting fired like three times throughout these two seasons. Yeah. But Tench, yeah. Tench took his back. Um, Carr took his back. Even mm-hmm. though they would be mad as fuck at him, but like they knew 
this dude was special. Like they knew the tactics that he took was special. So like even though the bosses, especially the first one, that motherfucker yeah. wanted holding out of there. And well, he I think, ended up I think that I think that what 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 happened is is that when you when because even when even when Dr. Carr was even going back and listening to the tapes, like it was you could kind of see you could kind of hear the similarities between Holden and the criminal. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, Holden and the criminal was really just just opposite sides of the spectrum. It was damn near like yin and yang. Like, the fact that he can, the fact that he can really just, like, talk to them and then instantly get into that mindset of who they were, how they were, and then just basically mimic who, you know what I'm saying, that, that personality. I think that that's what really scared them because it was like, okay, this is something that's never been done before. And we don't know if, you know what I'm saying, we, if we expose him to this, could he possibly become one of these people? Because, I mean, he had the brain for it. And then, you know what I'm saying, like he was basically on the inside. So it wasn't like they would have been able to easily find out. And then he was doing the work to find out about shit like this. So it wasn't like they already had the processes, you know what I'm saying, already in place. So. I think that that was one of the things that they kind of looked at that was, you know what I'm saying, like a little, like, all right, we got to we gotta back off this shit because now it's getting a little too serious. It's getting to the point to where we might have one of our own end up turning on us. At least that's what I got out of it. But isn't that the same thing as putting a guy on the cover? Because you're not going to put a guy yeah. on the cover. Like, you're not going to put, yeah. like, you, I, mean, I mean, think about, like, in too deep. You know what I'm saying? One of yeah. the great movies. Like, it's called In Too Deep because there were times where he was actually thinking like them. And you had to think like them so you mm-hmm. wouldn't get caught up. So it's like, I don't know if it was just the times or what, but I feel like that's what you want out of a person when you send them undercover to take somebody down. I feel like it's I mean, kind of, in a way, the same thing. Yeah, I agree with you on the PC-ness of the time. I think that that's that was one of the things, well, that was really the main reason they were kind of holding him back because that, because remember at the, at the time, none of this was, none of this was like standard procedure. This is something that's being created. So when, you know what I'm saying? I think the boss, he really just didn't understand what they were doing really because they didn't have the, the tangible evidence and the tangible proof that this shit was working yet. And I think that when they, when the new boss came in, and he was like, yo, let's let's get behind this and let's make this shit happen. And you know what I'm saying? Like they got into the, the new building and all that shit. Like, that's when you kind of seen like this shit was really coming to work. Because I think by that time, by the time the new boss got in, they had like solved a uh, a case or something like that, didn't they? Yeah. Um, and that's and that's what ended up getting because remember when they mm-hmm. wanted to start this behavioral science unit, they didn't have no no backing. Like they didn't have any right. funding or nothing like that. They didn't have their office. And then it ended up putting them down in the basement. And so then they were down in the basement for a while. And then yeah. they solved, they solved the case. And then like the governor or whoever it was had, you know, gave them like a million dollars or some type of shit or something to yeah. form this unit. And that's when they was able to to put Dr. Carr on, because see, Dr. Carr, she was just consulting in the beginning. Yeah, she was like an advisor. Yeah, and then when they was able to get that that budget, 
that's when she came on full time, yeah. and that's when they hired the damn rat dude. Oh, man, listen, man. that dude got on my nerves, but I was like, man, really? Like, he this was, is what we doing? He was, he was, to me, he was like, if, if Tench was younger, I think that's who Tench would have been. Because he was too by the books, man. He was too, like, he, he was, and then, on, and then on top of that, like, he had that little hint of jealousy in him, too. Dude, you took that shit right. I, I didn't even think about that shit. Like, it does seem like he was a young attention. And, and the situation we're talking about is there was a situation where Holden went in and Holden was talking to this guy. And like I said, he started using his language type of shit. Mm-hmm. And so Holden started saying some shit that was, I mean, you know, it, it was inappropriate, but it was inappropriate to get something out of the criminal. And so right. they it was asked, necessary. Yeah, it was necessary to get because they ended up getting out of him what they needed after Holden started talking like that. So the dude asked, was there any evidence of this? And they say, no, we had to take malfunction. Mm -hmm. So they all agreed, even the dude, because they even brought the dude up. Holden got the dude to lie in front of the captain guy. Then he went down to the basement, took the tape and mailed that shit somewhere and so then the tape get out and then it's like and then then they're all under investigation and then he comes out and say that oh well hold it forced me to say it and it's like man you don't take your snake ass on somewhere like we we yeah i don't think he was ready for that man he he was he wasn't ready for that and then they had him in like an intern and some shit so he wasn't really doing you know saying a lot and then i think i think what really scared him is when they took him on that first run when he had to really get into some shit and do some shit, I think that's what really scared him. Because to me, it seemed like all he was doing was pushing paper. Yeah, and then he realized, because Dr. Carr had him be the lead. Because what was happening was, like I said, mm-hmm. when they got the funding, like holding intense, they was solving live cases, like cases that were still going on where they could actually catch the killer. So yeah. they was always gone. So they wanted to keep the studies going. So my man and Dr. Carr had to go do the mm-hmm. interview and they, they came up with this script and they kept telling Holden to go to the script and Holden was like, I can't stick to the script. Like the script, right? you don't know, like you, you gotta be able to come out the top of the dome when you're talking to these people because they're unpredictable people. Like that's why we're here because you don't understand them. That was, that was an interesting thing too. That was very interesting too. Because um, Holden, we mentioned how Holden was was so ADD and meticulous about everything that he did. But it seemed like when he would go do those interrogations, he would get out of that. He would lose that whole that whole process. Like he just he lost everything about that. He would that that just escaped him. And I think that when they were talking about him going by the script and then him, you know what I'm saying, like reading the script and, and sticking to it, it was like, I think that was one of the things that kind of showed that because you would think that somebody who's so to the point, always in the process, one, two, three, four, in order, that you know what I'm saying? Like he could easily veer off of it. Once he started getting into interrogation, he became like a, a different a different person. 
But at the same time, I think that that person was needed because remember, when they asked my man to take lead, he couldn't do it. And, yeah. and the dude, the killer was looking at him like, dude, what's wrong with you? And then Dr. Carr mm-hmm. did it. And what, and what the fuck did Dr. Carr do? She went off script and she started doing the same damn shit that Holden was doing. And then that's yep. what Holden was trying to get them to understand. It's like, yo, it's yep. different when you're there, when you actually in the cell with a person that has mm-hmm. murdered a lot of people. You can't go by the book, go by the script to try to figure out how to crack them. You have to go off the field. Right. That's just like, if you got a great point guard, you don't want to sit there and call every play. Like, that's what that's what uh, Rondo demise was with the Dallas because Rick Carlisle likes mm-hmm. to call every play. It's like Rondo was a flow of the game type of point guard. And, like, right. that was that was Holden. Holden was like, I, I feel, you know what I'm saying, what's going on. And then mm-hmm. once I get the feel of it, I know how to go from it. And that's what they knew what was valuable about him. And I think that's when Dr. Carr started to switch over. I think that when she actually went out to the field and actually started interviewing these people, mm-hmm. she was like, well, fuck, I'm sitting around here mad at holding for going off script. And everything he said is right. It's like when you in front of yeah. these people, you can't go off no script, man. Yeah, she, she, I think she, she understood, you know what I'm saying, that what he was doing was necessary. And, and you know what I'm saying, the, the, um, the intern guy, to me, that's when he had went in there and he did that and he kind of failed. That's what I mean when I say he had that hint of jealousy in him. Like, he's seen that, you know what I'm saying, because, because don't forget, like, he was kind of talking shit about Holden a little bit in the holidays, too. Like, he really wasn't believing in Holden. And so when he finally went to go do it and he seen that it was something that he couldn't do, that Holden, you know what I'm saying, was amazing. That I think that's what also pushed him to kind of snitch on them and, and, and get them out of there. Because I think he, he was, you know what I'm saying, he had that little green eye on, on Holden, man. And then, like, Holden was able to improvise. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, there was a scene where him, um, like I said earlier about his girl, his girl wanted him mm-hmm. to, to buy a new pair of shoes. So he's in this shoe store with, with his girl and he sees these big ass girl shoes and he remembered that one of the killer guys that they talked to had a fetish for women's shoes. So he's like, yo, yep. give me the biggest size, you know, that you have in women's shoes. And then Holden goes, you know, into the sale and got was like, look, I got a prize if you talk. Mm-hmm. So he got the dude to talk and then he gave the dude the shoes. The women's shoes. So it was like this dude is out with his girl. You're supposed to be spending time with your woman and you're thinking about tactics, you know what I'm saying? But when you go meet with these killers. So it was yes. like holding it, it felt like mm-hmm. holding couldn't separate home from work. And then right. when you're mixing that in with your girl, I think that's what the really the biggest demise of that relationship was that he kept bringing home, we're bringing work home. And then entertaining that with her and all that type of shit, I just think that that was a, you know, I think that was a recipe for disaster there. And it was, but I think that the the weight of what they were doing was was a little bit more important in that relationship. And for me, I really didn't, I really didn't care for his the character of his girlfriend anyway, only because like it kind of it was kind of a little bit too early. 
Like I remember he brought him brought her to the, the dinner with Tinch and his wife and all that kind of stuff. Like everything was just happening like way too fast for you know what I'm saying for what they were doing and everything like that. And then like in the midst of them trying to create this relationship, like he would be gone for weeks. You know what I'm saying? It, he would spend too much time away from her. Like so all of that compared, you know what I'm saying? You gotta bring that back and then try to still have a relationship. It was just too much for him to be in that situation with him doing what he was doing. I think the work was a lot more important than getting the relationship. Yeah, and like and with Tench, it was different because like, and I think what the the biggest demise with him and his relationship with his wife was the fact of like there's always a thing when I mean I think it wasn't said, but I think that it was understood that they couldn't have kids. It seemed like that's yeah. what the power was. So they adopted this child. And so this child was just, you know, very, he was just odd. And then mm-hmm. that was also something else that you seem to notice. We'll get more into that when we get to season two. But it was like the like with Tinch, with the work that he was doing and the mm-hmm. oddness of this child that he's raising, you started to see like he would look at that kid funny. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, yeah, yeah, and 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 it's yeah. like, you know, because then it and it made. I mean, it made me. I don't know about the rest of the audience, but it made me even look at the kid weird because it's like, okay, so we sitting here, and then you know the whole thing of, I mean, this is like one of the hugest questions. I I, I don't think it's still been solved. They say are killers born, or are, are are they uh, created, evolved, or however you yeah. want to call it. And it's like, I don't think it can be, I, I think that's a question that can't be answered. Like, I don't think there's scientific evidence that say, oh, when this child was born, like, oh, well, we could tell that he was a killer. Like, I don't know if it's developed or if it's something that's just in the child. Like, it seems like, mm-hmm. like if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say that it's probably 60, 40 more on develop. Really? 60. Yeah, only because I think that you can raise a kid to, I mean, like the example I always use, you can have two twins in a house and you can raise them exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You know, become a millionaire, the other one could be a crackhead living on the street. And you raise them in exactly the same way, but mm-hmm. they but they brain, their terminology and the way they view life, even though they can be twins, they still view life differently. And I think that you can be born into thinking differently and there's nothing that your parents can do about it. And then there's mm-hmm. also little things that will attract you to it. Cause that's the thing. It's like, you could be a, like, you could be attracted to, you know, causing violence. That seemed like that's something that you're born with, but it also could develop into something more serious. So it's, it's mm-hmm. one of those questions that is tough to answer. Like what, what is your take on, on that type stuff? I don't I don't think it's necessarily I mean I think that the that the analogy you gave was good but I don't think it's that simple you know what I mean like um I think you can be raised in a in a great household with two parents and you know what I'm saying and and all this great stuff but you also have to remember that you have you know what I'm saying people have experiences outside of their household people have experiences outside of you know what I'm saying their environments and so you know what I'm saying? One traumatic experience can change somebody's life forever. You know what I mean? You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, um, 
you know, something as, as extreme as, you know what I'm saying, seeing somebody get shot or something like that. It could be, uh, you know, somebody that has been sheltered their whole life. Like, there's been, you know what I'm saying, like, how many times have you talked to a person that was sheltered their whole life and then once they get to college, they just wild the fuck out? You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 I think it's a mixture of, you know what I'm saying, your upbringing as well as your environment, as well as the experiences you have outside of home and you know so like outside of school and shit like that like um i know plenty of kids i grew up with who they had two parents in the household you know what i'm saying they they had everything they wanted and they ended up selling dope and it was like they didn't even need to sell dope they just was selling dope you know what i mean like it's i think it's just the experiences you know what i'm saying of all of those mixed together and i think that's what ends up you know what i'm saying creating the personalities that we end up seeing. I think that, um, I think serial killers and, and people that, of that nature eventually ended up, end up being created. I don't think that they're born that way because you know what I'm saying, once you're born, it's, it's only so many things that you, you know what I'm saying, that you inherently know how to do. Like you know how to breathe, you know what I'm saying? You know how to move your eyes and your arms and all that shit. Like you eventually learn how to walk and talk and do all that other stuff. But, I mean, you already know how to kind of talk. You just don't know what language you speak yet. You know what I mean? So, um, I think that when when we talk about serial killers, like, it's, to me, I think that trauma plays a huge part in that. When you think about guys like Ted Bundy, you think about guys like um, Charles Manson, you think about guys like, um, you know what I'm saying, like, uh, just any any serial killer for that matter, like, when you think about the the things that they've done and and the way that they did things, like I'm sure that somewhere in their life you can go back and connect the trauma to what they've done, it, you know, center or or how they became who they were. I don't necessarily think you were born into something like that, but I think that it could definitely evolve into something. The re- the reason I say born is uh is the percentage <clears throat> is the fact of I think that. That's just like people who are, some people are quick tempered and some people are not. And I think that some people are able to mm-hmm. endure a lot of things differently. And I think that that's just the way they brain is scientifically made up. I think that some people can take certain things or take certain criticisms that others can't. I mean, that's just like, I would say, I would say to my son all the time, like, you know, you know, just to try to drink, you know, to drill it in his head as he's young, like mm-hmm. don't don't fold the peer pressure. You know what I'm saying? Right. No matter what it is, you know what I'm saying? Like I was like, I've been called tons of names, I've been called a bitch, I've been called this and I've been called that. I can endure a lot of that stuff because I'm not gonna mm-hmm. let you determine what I'm gonna do just because you call me names. So right. it's like I think that I don't think everybody can deal with that because some people can fold under peer pressure because they would think of right. how somebody, you know, would think of them if they don't do. I don't know, like, and th- and that could be also something that's developed. I mean, that's just my interpretation of mm-hmm. it. But to get back to Manson, that Manson was season one. Was that the end? No, no. two. No, he was season, season two, season so he didn't two. come up yet. So I'll hold yeah. it to later. But like, I think that a lot of these serial killers, man, is. And and when you think of somebody like Holden Ford, 
it's, it's, it's very interesting because like you said earlier, like I think that when they was listening to those tapes, it seemed like they couldn't separate you right. know, who from who. It's like, damn, like if we didn't know, if we played this tape for somebody, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, and, and, and cut out the beginning of it where he was like, you know, I'm special agent holding forward and just played the right. tape. It sounded like, like two damn. serial killers. Yeah, they're like, who, who, like, which one is the target? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I think that when, like, I, like we were saying, once Dr. Carr actually went out in the field, and then her personal life was just as crazy. Yeah, too. she she was a lesbian. Yeah, and like, and, and she was trying to hide it. Seventies. Yeah, like yeah, that trying was, to hide it. Yeah, yeah, that, that that and and it's crazy that like that whole thing is crazy how we how we do people. When it comes mm-hmm. and that whole little thing there, but um, I think that's a I think that's a um. At the time, you still got to remember too, like America was super religious too. You know what I mean? Like, so you know, with with religion being one of the major, you know, what I'm saying major things in in America, and you know, di- people using that as an excuse to do certain things um because i think this was in a this was at the time was in the 60s early late early i mean mid to late i mean yeah mid to late 60s at the time because i think that season two started around like in the 70s right no uh no it started it started um the first episode was in 77 okay so it was in the 70s and then the the season two was what the eighties. Actually, I don't think I don't think they got into the eighties yet. So it was all the seventies. Well, when was the? That's where my confusion was coming from, because I thought well, it was I... like the late sixties and then going into the seventies. They might have got into the seventies because, if I remember correctly, the child murders was in the seventies, eighties. Yeah. So I think it was going into the eighties. Okay, okay. Well so right. but in that time span though, like you gotta remember like religion was super heavy. So you know what I'm saying, people was using religion for a lot of that, you know, a lot of the stuff to be able to say, you know what I'm saying, it's not you know what I'm saying, it's not Christian to be gay and God is looking down on you. And I think that at the end of the day, man, I think that if, if people really just, you know what I'm saying, worry more so about themselves and let everybody else live the life that they want to live. You know what I'm saying? I don't even think this would be an issue. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like what, what, why do you care if, you know what I'm saying? Like your next door neighbor is gay or lesbian or whatever. Like that really doesn't affect you that much. You know what I mean? I don't think like, it affects you. Well, you don't really. Well, <laughs> I don't think it affects you at all. I mean, like, I mean, like it could, it could affect you as, it could affect you as far as like, you know, if if they like, uh, uh, I mean, just as well as any couple, honestly, you know what I'm saying? Like if they, you know what I'm saying, arguing every night, fighting every night and shit like that. But I mean, like, that's what I mean, like as much, like as long as they living their life and doing their thing, like what, how's that affecting you? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I see what you're saying. Cause my thing is like, some people will say, oh, well, I gotta explain this to my kids. And it's like, yo, it's a teacher moment. No, you don't. 
<laughs> you really don't. I mean, you you don't, but at the same time, it's like, man, I'll look at my kids and be like, look, yo, like, there's some people who like the same sex of people. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it, that is yeah. what it is. Like, it's a reality that they're going to have to face at some point anyway. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that some people just don't be wanting to have a conversation with their child about stuff that they're uncomfortable about. And, and I, think that, I think that yeah, I think a lot true. of it is the fact that they're uncomfortable. And it's like, well, how can you have a conversation with yeah. your child if you ain't comfortable, you know, with that concept? Right. That's why I think a lot of people get upset with it. And like, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have a problem mm-hmm. with it. Um, you know, it didn't it didn't affect her work. She was able to uh do the do her job. Yeah, she was scared of shit. Yeah, like she was, you know, very, very and then I think that that helped because like she didn't like she didn't have any attraction with the guys that she was working with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think that can interfere with work when you sitting here trying to impress somebody mm-hmm. when these motherfuckers ain't even attracted to you at all. But they didn't know that in the beginning. I think that I don't think they found out about her it was until like season, like season two. two. Yeah, yeah, like they had, they had no idea. Season season two is where we really get into the lives of the characters. I think season one was just basically um, just showing us what was what was really going on. It was pretty much giving us the foundation of. The, the world that we enter when we're watching the show. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's letting us know about these FBI agents who are creating this division or this subdivision of the FBI that's basically going to kind of show us, you know what I'm saying, uh, a different side of, of society and, and be able to kind of foretell, you know what I'm saying, the kind of people that we're dealing with and be able to categorize these people in a way. And look, I think season two was really more the most interesting one. And before mm-hmm. we get into that one, though, I think that the way that season one ended was very telling because, like, it got to a point where they, they was meeting with all of these different serial killers. And they pretty much got too busy yeah. with, with meeting with these other serial killers and also working, working on active cases. Holden didn't have the time to go see... You know what I'm saying? They first subject in Kemper. So Kemper is like, well, shit, the only way I can get attention is I got to, you know, try to kill myself. So he tries to kill himself and then it gets word to Holden. So Holden flies out there on his own to go meet with Kemper. So him and Kemper are talking and then Kemper's able to get out of the bed. And when the guard walks off and there's this whole scene of He's like talking about, well, these are all the ways that I can kill you and, you know what I'm saying, all this type mm-hmm. of shit. And then he gives them a hug and then Holden takes off running and then that's when we find out Holden couldn't breathe. And then Holden ended up being diagnosed with um, a weekly of, uh, how would you call it? Anxiety. He had anxiety. Yeah. And like, yeah. so he had basically like, you know, like a small little heart attack or whatever. And so Holden had to start taking volume and all this type shit. And that mm-hmm. really took you into season two because season two, it started out Holden was MIA. They didn't know where Holden was. Right. And so, um, so then once they was able to, to get the, um, to get the whole little thing of where they found him and Tinch came out and got him and was like, look, you know, he told them what it was. He was like, look, you can't say shit about this. 
And mm-hmm. they knew that if they found out that he had anxiety, like he wouldn't be able to do the type. They would basically put him on a desk. Like, right. Like Holden would be stuck to a desk. And like, I think that Holden is too valuable to, to the work that they was doing to put him on a desk. Yeah. Yeah, so um, just real quick, you know what I'm saying, a recap of um, some of the people that were actually um, in season one. They're actually real serial killers. You guys can go check them out. Um, Dennis Rader, also known as the BTK killer. Uh, Monty Rissell, Ed Kemper, um, who we spoke about a lot. Uh, Jerry Brudos and Richard Speck. You guys can go check them out, research them, see what they did. Um, but these are just a few of the um, just a few of the people that they interrogated in season one. And so um, we yeah, but they were able to get into the B- yeah. And, oh, and ahead, the thing man. about the the B two K killer when it, when they were talking to him, um, you know, with the whole son of Sam shit, like <laughs> this motherfucker started to say that his neighbor's dog was a demon and like yeah. the demon was telling him to, to, to go and kill people and I think that man the, the the interesting things about people who speak about stuff like that and then he even mentioned the exorcism mm-hmm. in, the, in the damn interview about like and saying that like all that stuff is true and they told him to kill people and all that type stuff I thought that I thought that that was I think it's interesting, but then at the same time, I feel like those are nothing that's, but excuses. Uh, that's Richard Speck. The, What's um, that Speck? I think that's Richard Speck. Okay, so this, the crazy story is so when he mentions the exorcist, Richard Speck is actually in the movie The Exorcist. So um, if you watch the first Exorcist, it's like a scene where I guess like they're performing like brain surgery or some shit in the movie. And he's the dude that's performing brain surgery. So if you, you know what I'm saying, if you know anything about like the Exorcist and the poltergeist and all these, all these weird stories surrounding, you know what I'm saying, like the, the little girl died mid-production of one of the movies. Um, you know what I'm saying, like a lot of people's lives was fun. Fucked up and Richard Spence, he ended up facing up getting locked up using the exorcist as an excuse, of course. But that's um that's what that ref Yeah, man, that's uh, that man that that was that that was wild, man. Like I I didn't see that man that um that little correlation yeah. that you did there. I didn't I didn't notice that. Yeah, I, I did a little. I did a little bit of research. I mean, I had to, you know, saying go back and I think that's a, a another thing, man. When you, when you watch shows like this, and you know, you find out that these are real people, I think that it, you know, what I'm saying they let you go back and do some research to learn, you know, what I'm saying a little bit about, you know, what I'm saying the history of the country and just all the kind of weird shit that you know, what I'm saying is going on in America. Yeah, man, and and then what was what was great about season two, like you said earlier, like they dove more into like the characters lives and like yeah also what happened at the end of season one was holding relationship ended up getting ended because you know he 
he ended up thinking some stuff was wrong. He ended up seeing his girlfriend, like, with the people that she does her school stuff with. It was some party type thing, and he went in. It was like a dark party mm-hmm. or whatever the kind of shit. He's seeing her all up on this dude, and he just leaves. But he ended up getting back with her. But then she ended up breaking it off, off some other shit. But in season two, yeah, that's when Tench, son, the adopted son that he was raising, within the mix of all mm-hmm. of this shit that they're doing, there was a, a toddler that was murdered, and then there was two kids who put a toddler on a cross, yep. thinking that they would bring that child back. And so with that going on, also with him interviewing all of these serial killers that he's interviewing, and also mm-hmm. working on these active cases, then he got this child that don't talk, but he does some shit like this. Yeah, that's that's gotta be difficult to deal with, to be trying to make a change in the world to take these type of people off the street, and then you don't know if you're living with the type of person that you might have to end up arresting later on. Right, right. And, and then, yeah. and then Dr. And I, Carl, think, I think it was a little bit different tense, like you, like you were saying, because they couldn't have a baby. Yeah. And then they're looking at a child that's like... I think that added some too. And then it also goes back to that. Are they born this way? Mm-hmm. Or is it developed? You see what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, they don't know who gave birth to this child. Well, I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. They never showed that in the series. But you're raising a child that you don't know their parents. You don't know what they were like. You don't know what they was into. So mm-hmm. that's why I say, well, at the end of the day, like, this kid has his own mind. Like, yeah, they're raising him, you know, from what we can see the right way and all this type stuff, but he still got these different tendencies. He got in the his office, too. He did what? Oh, when he went in, oh, Tension's office. Remember, he got in the Tension's office, Tension's pictures. Yeah, he did yes. see he did see some pictures now. So I, I don't think that had something to do with it. So that was before they did the thing with the with the kid on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. So you think that that dramatic experience of seeing those type pictures spark something in his head to where that he would do something like that. But you also got to realize you got to tie in the same fact of they was taking this kid to church and they believed in religion and stuff because for them to put yep. him on the cross and think that that would bring that child back alive, that's also a whole yeah. other thing. Well, yeah, because I think I think for the kid, I think that he was really just trying to do something that he thought was helping. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? That's why I was saying with, with religion being so, as, or with religion being as strong as it was during that time, you know what I'm saying? With them always going to church and everything like that, you got to, you know what I'm saying? This is something that he's thinking that is possible for him to do to be able to bring this kid back to life. And then you also got to remember that, you know, the the seeing the pictures and everything else like that, He's also realized, I think he also kind of realized that Tense was doing something good. Like, Tense was trying to, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think he realized that Tense was doing 
you know what I'm saying, like good work as far as like solving cases and getting rid of all these bad guys. So I think that all that kind of culminated in him trying to do something that was good that everybody else looked at as or misunderstood as a criminal act. Yeah, and then when you get into Dr. Carr, like, you know, she, she her first, the first time she actually went to like this bar type thing, this bar scene, she went with Holden and her and Holden was having this conversation and she noticed the bartender. And mm-hmm. I guess she kind of got that vibe from the bartender. And then um, what ended up happening was she ended up going on her own. And so these dudes was hitting on her was hitting on the bartender girl and then the bartender girl made it clear to Wendy that oh they're not going to get very far because I'm not you know looking that way right. type of thing so then right. she was like oh shit you know she liked me so then they ended up forming this relationship and then mm-hmm. they got their own shit within their relationship because they're so different like she is a psychiatrist and this girl is a bartender and so, like, I think that it was a son. She had a, oh, son. Yeah, a, son, a son. And and then and, and then yeah. she was also dealing with the, you know what I'm saying, with the ex and all this type of stuff. And yep. you know, that, that relationship, you know, it ended up crashing, but we'll we'll get there when we get there. But like mm-hmm. I think that the cases in season two also going on with the interviews and stuff that they got, like season two was really like a I think it was very fascinating the way they was able to cram all this stuff in our episodes because mm-hmm. you also got to remember they were solving that one case where the one guy that had murdered that, that girl yep, and also Holden did that same shit again where cause, uh, what ended up happening was this dude was working on a telephone pole and he would see the, this little girl get out the bus every day. Mm-hmm. And then what happened, the little girl ended up came, coming up missing. And so they was able to put the time frame together when the girl was missing and who might have seen her. And then they start interviewing this dude. And, like, he wasn't really giving up a lot. And then Holden ended up bringing the rock in there and bringing some other things that was in there and started talking like, yo, like, like man, the way these girls are growing up nowadays, he was like, man, they look older than what they really are. And he was able to yeah. get the dude to start like opening up, like, yeah, man, you see what I'm saying? Like, like, like that girl didn't look 12, you know, she looked at least 16 mm-hmm. and all this shit. Holden was able to crack him by speaking his language and getting him to think that, like, yo, I'm on your side, man. You know what I'm saying? And I think that with that case, one of those, you know, live cases going on on top of getting the Manson interview that you had brought up earlier. Now, mm-hmm. the interesting thing about Charles Manson, the I mean, the very big... Like, the biggest thing is Manson never killed anybody. He just convinced people to right. do the shit for him. So technically, he was like the first person mm-hmm. that was basically locked up for some shit that he didn't even really commit the crimes. And there is well, he he I think he was 
he was the reason for the whole conspiracy conspiracy to murder thing. I think that's that's really he's one of the ones that brought that into full effect. But you got to remember one of the guys that actually murdered people because remember it was a guy and two girls. Uh, Tex Watson, and they interviewed him, and he said, yeah. "Like, dude, I take full responsibility for what I did." He was like, mm-hmm. "I didn't do what Charlie said." So I think that that was confirmation of like, yo, like, okay, yeah, he was a very convincing guy. But at the same time, like, he didn't actually go out and commit these actions. They didn't have to do what the dude said. They was just kids who was looking for guidance, and they just actually went to the wrong person. And I mm-hmm. think that there, there's a TV series um, came out a couple of years ago. It was two seasons called Aquarius. That was really good. It's, it was on Charles Manson, and it also it, it it was more on this detective uh, of the LAPD at the time, and um and Charles Manson, and uh it, it was it was really good thing to watch. So I would suggest people to go watch that as well. But so you're able to get the interview with Manson, and you, you solve this one case. And then you go into the whole thing of them being sent to Atlanta because of these child murders Mm -hmm. of black kids. Now, we talked about, we talked a little bit about Manson. To me, I think Manson was that, um, that, that fill in for the short time that we see him. I think he was that fill in for Kemper. I think he was the one that, that kind of did that, that mental chess game with Holden. Because if you ever like paid attention to anything about Manson or like watched any of the interviews or whatever, he's highly intelligent. Oh yeah. And he he's so he's so intelligent to the point to where some of the shit that he says it sounds like like far out stupid. But he has he has like a to me I feel like he would have a super high IQ. And then for him to be able to manipulate those those people to be able to do what they did, even if, you know what I'm saying, intention was there or not, or whatever the case had been, like for him to be able to do that and then not, you know what I'm saying, have to really lay a finger on anybody, like that lets you know just how dangerous somebody like that is. And to me, I think that was another, that was another, you know what I'm saying, uh, um, another rivalry or pseudo rivalry that they had holding go against because I think Holden was so so um, eager to get this interview because he knew. Uh, I think he kind of knew how interesting it was, and he knew he was going to get somebody else. So, yeah, but you know, what I'm saying on to Atlanta. But also at the same time, with Atlanta, we also have to mention mm-hmm. when the thing happened with Tench. And his son, yeah. Tench had to keep going home every weekend and, and one, like every weekend and yeah. a day during the week because they had his son had to see a, a psychiatrist and he and his wife had to see one as well. Yep. And his wife was getting more and more upset and more and more fed up with the fact that like we need to put all of our focus into our son. And yeah. he's like, yo, I got to do my job. I got to go to Atlanta. And it was like, watching that, it was, 
it was disappointing for me because it's like I feel like when you have a type that type of job that consists mm-hmm. of the type of things that he's doing, it also consists of the importance that it has. Like this ain't just no no regular shit. It ain't like he's right out there a technician or some shit. Like this dude is really like saving lives. Like the more mm-hmm. and more people that they're able to get off the street, the more and more lives they can save. And I get I get it. Family should be priority. Like I, I get that. But for her to take it personal the way that she took it to make it seem like he's picking work over family. Yeah. I, I just feel like she needed to support him more. And I felt like maybe if now we don't know this for fact. I'm just saying, maybe if he didn't mm-hmm. have to keep going back and forth and to see if this was some shit that she could handle, then maybe that they could have handled this stuff in Atlanta quicker. Because yep. he had to keep leaving. And Titch is a guy that even though we talk a lot about holding, Titch was a very intelligent guy as well. Like he he wasn't he wasn't no slouch yeah. in what he was doing. But I just also wanted to mention that because when we get into the Atlanta child murders, it's like you gotta understand, like this dude was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, catching flights, catching flights, trying to also solve this case, but then at the same time, trying to fix his stuff at home and actually putting forth that effort to be a husband when he was present. You know what I'm saying? I just mm-hmm. felt like the way that she was shitting on him sometimes, I felt like that was a little fucked up. I agree. I definitely agree. But I think what's interesting on the flip side of that is um, is the fact that him going to investigate these child murders, I think that kind of made him or or kind of pushed him to see how important it is to really go back and, and be more involved. Because as, as the time, as episodes went on, and as we've seen, he was really doing his best to, like, get more involved and, you know what I'm saying, go back and, you know what I'm saying, do stuff, you know what I'm saying, with the son and with the wife and try to spend more family time. I think as he started to see these murders and investigate these murders, I think that he kind of realized the importance of him being there um, for the family in that moment. Yeah, yeah, just true. That's true. Um, also, man, like when, when when you talk about the Atlanta child murders, man, it's like like he used like this one tactic where they where he used the uh the one dude uh Smith, the dude that ratted on him in season one. Mm-hmm. He took him to a neighborhood in Baltimore, and it was trying to see if a white dude can go into a predominantly black neighborhood. And convinced yeah. the kid to come with him. And so it wasn't successful. So he used the black guy. He was able to round up like 10 kids and like yeah. on a regular, like he just kept doing it. So he was able to come up with a profile. Holden was able to come up with a profile of the only way these kids are going with this person is this person has to be black. He was mm-hmm. like, because especially in those times, the way that, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure you would tell them, hey, don't go, don't go anywhere with no white man. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I'm pretty right. sure, like, 
they're telling kids at a very young age, like, don't go somewhere with a white man. And the people from Atlanta and these mothers that formed this group to, because they felt that they was being ignored, so they formed their own group. Now, it was funny how Holden was pulled in because he went into the hotel room and the one black girl that worked at the desk, <laughs> that shit was funny. Yeah. Because Holden thought, because yeah. he, remember, he, remember his, girl, up, his girl man. broke up with him. So Holden is out here single. And so he think that this girl is coming yeah, he on thought to he him. About to get some brown sugar. <laughs> yeah, he thought he's about to get some brown sugar. <laughs> but he thought, but he thought so, but he was he was ready. But he come downstairs and she get him in the car and then she take him to meet these, like I think it was five mothers. And he's like, the fuck? Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking I'm about to get some. And so she takes them down there, and so they're telling them their situation and all of this type stuff. And all you kept hearing was, "Oh, well, the clan did it. Like the clan got something yeah. to do. With it. The clan got something to do." And like Holden is so strung up on his profile, he's like, "Yo, like there's no way a white man could do it." And then it got to the point where like people was getting upset with him because he's like. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody, like, man, ain't no way a black man would do this. Now, at the time, there wasn't really no other black serial killers. So, it's yeah. like, well, that, they, that they just had wasn't one. shit that we did. You know what I'm saying? As they black people, one. you know what I'm saying? It, like, the they way that the profile works. Yeah. Uh, hold on, what's his name? It's uh, Elmer Wayne Henry. That's the, that's the only one that they knew of at the time. Yeah, but like, and that's the whole concept of 9 out of 10. That's what 9 out of 10 means. <laughs> that one person. <laughs> that mm-hmm. one person. So it's like 9 yep. over rules 1. So it was like they, they thought it was, and then it was in the South, and like, look, I get the, the whole thinking of like, this has to be you know, a white man to sit here and, and collect these kids mm-hmm. and kill these kids, but you also got to add logic to it. Like, why would 13, 14, 15 year old kids just go somewhere with a white man, just get in the car with a white man? Like, even yeah. if they did offer them money, like it sounded funny, but like the people of Atlanta was so strung up on, like, yo, like there's no way a black person would do this. And like, then what I liked it about Holden was Holden was able to no matter like Holden didn't know how to read a room you know what I'm saying like he would go into a room and mm-hmm. he already got he got his mindset on what he thinks what's going on yeah. you don't care if it's if it's off topic if it's going to hurt anybody's feelings like really honestly it seems like he's really like ADD slash autistic it's just like yeah he's just like he was just like yo I'm getting straight to the point and even though people would get upset with him, like holding, like we have to take all, all of the data that we got and we have to, you know what I'm saying, be open-minded. He was like, yeah, I'm open-minded, but I know this has to be a black guy. And yeah. even though going into it, because this came out in 2019, mm-hmm. and I'm just, me personally, I'm just coming off a monster, Atlanta Child Murders podcast. Yeah. I'm coming off of had 
a series on the ID channel called uh, the Atlanta Child Murders. So when I seen this, and then this is the thing, my hunters, when I seen season two, click, watch. I right. had no idea that I didn't watch no trailer. I didn't watch anything. So this well, yeah, shit you ain't just, need to. Dude, this shit just sprung up on me, and I'm like, dude, yeah. like I just listened to this podcast. I'm like, I yeah. just watched that. So like that shit even made it even better for me. I was like, oh my God, man. I was like, man, this shit is right up my alley. So mm-hmm. um shit, I'm doing all the talking, but but you you go ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh I'm I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I also listened to I didn't see the I didn't see the ID series, but I did also listen to um the monster uh podcast because I was coming off of listening to the one before that about some lady named um Tara Tara Henley or something like that. So um they did the season two or they did the five, the next season about the Atlanta child murder. And when you listen to that podcast and you hear the conflicting stories of, you know, saying the people who said that he couldn't have did it. And then there was people who were saying that he, of course he did it. You know, it is, it's kind of weird because, you know what I'm saying? Just a quick backstory. They never charged him with any of the child murder. They only charged him with the murder of two adults. And so, in a sense, it's still people like, well, if if he was the child murderer, we talk about Wayne Williams, if y'all don't know, I think that's his name, I think his name is Wayne Williams, but um, they was, you know, saying they was just saying like, well, if he's the Atlanta child murderer, then why didn't he get charged with any of the murders of the children? Why just two adults? So, you know, saying this, I think that was a, that's a reason for you know saying a lot of conflicting stories around this case. Um, what I, I thought it was very interesting that they took um, this particular time to bring in um, the FBI aspect of it, because we know that the FBI was involved in it, of course. But you know, what I'm saying for them to bring in, you know, Holden Intense and Dr. Carr into this situation, and then you know, say have them work with. Um, version of the FBI. I guess they call it the GBI or something like that. But to have them all working together and everything, and you've seen so many different aspects, you know what I'm saying? You've seen so many different resources being used like that. I think they took over like a uh, like a library, not a library, they took over like an old school or something like that to set up headquarters, you know what I'm saying? To be able to have everybody working. And then, you know what I'm saying? You got to, you really got to see just how intelligent, ten, I mean, not tense, uh, Holden was. Because he was coming up with different, um, he was coming up with different tactics based off of the information that they was getting. So, like when they were talking about uh, when they had just got Wayne Williams or whatever, talking about him dumping the body over the bridge or whatever, and then they had, you know, what I'm saying, um, Holden didn't believe it was him at first, and so when that had happened, you remember he had set up all the police cars around the bridge just to see if it was going to happen again, because they. Had- on the body in the river to see how intelligent Holden was, um, especially in the midst of Tench not really being there because, you know, we spoke about how Tench is back and we got a chance to really see him kind of stand on his own without Tench really, you know what I'm saying, being back there with that support like he usually does. And, you know what I'm saying, we got to kind of see him become, you know what I'm saying, like his own man in a sense. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and this is true. And I think the way that they was able to, and then like, and they did investigate the clan. Now, they had one um, yeah. cop that was down there that was tapping this one family, and like this one clan family, like they get pulled in for shit all the time, and they got to the point where the police didn't want to fuck with them because they was like, every time we bring them in, you know, they're able to sue us and all this type of shit and yeah. get us for harassment and all this type of stuff. So they did follow up those leads and, you know, and the one guy, and like I said, man, the dude, you hate to admit a racist motherfucker was smart, but like they was interviewing him and he was like, dude, when they said that we got, I think it was like, uh, we got to do something with him or we got to grab the girl or something like that. And he used the First Amendment. He was like, I, he's like, yeah. it's the First Amendment. I can say and think what I want to think in my household. Like, that don't mean I did it though. Yeah, no, that's when they was that's when they was yeah. tapping. So yeah, that's they was using that the, uh, the video tape. Yeah, so they was tapping them. So they they was doing all these, but they got to the point where there was they they had to go off of everything because they was getting nowhere before the yeah the, the, they heard the one body and then that was some shit that they didn't even want to do because right. the one officer the one um sheriff dude is like we don't have the man because Holden came up with the idea. Uh, well, okay, before we get to that, so Tench is coming home, but well, coming back from coming home, and uh-huh. they're standing outside, and they found a body in the river, and they found a body in the river naked because reports had came out that they found some evidence, they found some fiber and all this type shit, so... Right. Uh, the killer started dump, dumping the bodies in the river, but naked. So they was outside in the river. So mm-hmm. Tish comes down there and holding like, yo, let me, you know, let me talk to you for a second. So he pulled him aside. And he was like, yo, like, I really need you here, man. Cause he, he never told holding what was going on. So that was, that was mm-hmm. a powerful scene when Tish was sitting there and telling, and he finally told holding what was going on and why he had to keep going back on um, going back home. Yeah. And then Holden is like, fuck. And so, like, he starts giving me sympathy. He was like, look, man, I don't want your sympathy. You know what I'm saying? He was just like, he just felt that mm-hmm. they had more of a working relationship and it wasn't Holden's business. Now, he told Wendy Carr beforehand. He right. told Wendy. Matter of fact, I think he told Wendy. And then once he flew down there, then he told Holden. So he kind of told them really kind of like yeah. back to back. So he tells him that. And I think that that was a powerful scene. And then it, I thought it was, I thought it was powerful. And I thought it was funny at the end when he was like, you look at anxious, you need to take a volume. And then he walks off. I was like, oh, that's kind of fucked up. But yeah. like, so they find the body and then they come up with the idea of like, look, we're running out of options. He was like, let's leave. Let's have somebody cover every bridge. I think it ended up being like, I think it was 16 bridges or something like that. And so, mm-hmm. The one, the sheriff guy didn't want to do it because he was like, we ain't got this kind of manpower to be doing this. And yeah. so then it shows you all the scenes of like them falling asleep and them bringing coffee and then also showing things like because they they brought in one black black FBI agent, um, uh, Jim Barney. And yeah. so he's talking to this one officer that brought them coffee. And Barney was withholding at the time. And the cop was like, it was a black cop. He was like, man, he was like, man, this ain't no way this could be a black person. He was like, man, he's like nothing but a cracker. He was like one of them, uh, 
that profile thing is bullshit and all this type of stuff like that. And um, so it just mm-hmm. showed them out there, you know, mosquitoes, you know, how bad mosquitoes are by the river. Yeah. Like, so they're showing you all of this type of stuff. And then, then we get to the point where he's about to call it off. The sheriff's like, look, I can't keep giving these dudes overtime. This is the last day. Now, I don't know if this was written into the script, but let's just say mm-hmm. it was. So this is basically the last day to sit up under these bridges to see if something happened. Somebody hears splash, still a car coming down the street with their lights off. They turn their lights on, and then they go to turn around. So then they pull them over, and then it's uh, what's his name? Uh, Williams. Wayne Williams. Yeah. Wayne Williams. So they pull them over, and <laughs> I think it's so wild, man, because like the thing with Wayne Williams was, I think that he thought that he was smarter than everybody else. Because they ask him a question, and the very first thing yes. he say is, oh, y'all talking about those uh, dead kids. And it's like, mm-hmm. when he asked him why you pulled me over, and he was like, oh, because of them uh, dead kids or something like that. And I'm like, yo, like, this is this is fucking wild. Like, why would you just off yes. the rip say some shit like that? I thought that, yeah. I thought that, I, 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 to me, it just felt like that was one of those arrogant type of things where it's like, I'm smarter mm-hmm. than you. I've been doing this all this time and y'all ain't got shit. Yeah. So I can say yeah. some shit like this. Yeah, so, um, they, they, you know what I'm saying? They, they apprehend them, you know what I'm saying? Take them down for an investigation. And then, um, basically, it goes into the story of, you know what I'm saying, the Atlanta child murders from that point on. Um, and then, like, kind of in the in the back of it all, like, they were still kind of investigating, like, the KKK in a the, in the weird way. And then, um, but it was mostly just about them and the Wayne Williams situation. They show how the reporters and everything were coming to the house. They kind of gave you, like, a small little backstory on Wayne Williams. And then uh, they showed, like, holding and going to the house everything like and then they found the or something which connect pretty much just how they got them yeah and and I think it what I thought was stupid about this time and this is shit that really happened was when when Wayne was on their radar, so basically, okay, so they searched the car. He gives them permission to search the car. They find rope, gloves, mm-hmm. and uh, there was some other shit. And Wayne was like, well, this ain't my car. This is my uncle's car, all this type shit. So Holden and Tench thought that they were smart enough to bag some shit that they felt was evidence, but they didn't bag anything when they when they let them go because they couldn't hold them because they didn't have enough to hold yeah. them. So they let them go. They go to the house the next day. The car's like, dude, he took that shit to motherfucking. Look, he didn't take it to the wash with them, Dr. Dre. And, he um, took that shit to the cleaners. Yeah, like, he took I'm that shit to the cleaners, boy. Yes, sir. But that thing was clean. But that car looked brand new. And so when they was able to put him on the radar, like they took it to the one mayor guy which because Atlanta had a, a black mayor at the time you know and so 
he didn't want yeah, uh, Maynard. Maynard, like, dude, that that exactly. was, that, and that was another thing that kind of slowed the process. Was the fact of him not really wanting to cooperate, but at the same time, he looking at re-election, and they're like, "This shit ain't gonna look right if we say that we're looking at a black suspect yeah. for these crimes." So there was a mm-hmm. there was there was a lot of, and I love how they put that in there. It was a lot of politics played in this, especially when it yeah. comes to Atlanta child murders, because there was a lot. There was a re-election coming up. That was the positions that was yep. up for grabs. That was the first time Atlanta uh, had was well, really down south had a, a black mayor. So it was like it it, mm-hmm. it didn't look good on the media that all these black kids kept coming up missing. But then at the same time, I think that for some of the voters, I they really wanted. I think I think they wanted it to be a white guy so bad. That right because that's they, what they're they, used to. Yeah, and and I think that they didn't even really wanted it solved. But then once they did put it on Wayne, it was like, oh, y'all came down here and basically found a man that fit the description. And it was yeah. like, okay, I get the frustration, I get you being upset, but at the same time, it's like, wouldn't you really want the person off the street, even if they was black? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I think that they would, but knowing the history of the South, you know what I'm saying, you also gotta you also gotta think about the um the stipulations that come along with that. Like once it once it becomes a black suspect, then now all of a sudden we got all of these cops stopping these black men, harassing these black men, and you know what I'm saying, doing what they do best, you know what I'm saying, possibly killing a few of them, you know what I'm saying, beating them up and shit like that. So I mean, I think that it was more so just the fear of what they knew could possibly happen in the in the South at the time. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, you also got to remember that, you know, with the history of that, they used to, you know what I'm saying, white people killing black people. So to hear that it's a black dude going around doing all this, or and it's one of our own, that's kind of, you know what I'm saying, that's kind of a big pill to swallow. I mean, yeah. I mean, it it definitely is. And to to go back to what you were saying, for him to, and I think it was interesting to the fact of when they started, when Wayne was on their radar, they uh-huh. news media sitting outside his house every day, cops sitting outside yeah. his house every day. It's like, yo, what is that gonna do? Like, I felt like that, yeah. like the dumbest tactic to do is to sit there and surveillance this dude all day, every day. I thought that was ridiculous, but, like, this was shit that really well, happened. Was, like, they had that. You it got- was, to me, it was it was just the pressure, right? So if this was the if this was the dude that was basically doing it and we constantly surveying him, we constantly got, you know what I'm saying, we constantly at his house, then, and by their logic at least, then all the murders should stop. And if all the murders stopped, then basically we got the right guy. And so, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's kind of how they were just looking at it, just to see if, you know what I'm saying, if we put the pressure on him, is he going to continue to do this and we could possibly catch him doing it? Or is he going to stop doing it and we could basically just be like, yeah, we was right. This was the dude that did it. Because when we start watching him, everything stopped. 
Yeah, and and that it did, and and I think that it's for the evidence. I, I think the reason they ended up only charging them for the two adults, even though they, well, Wayne fucked up was he was smart to get rid of the green carpet. Mm-hmm. But what he fucked up at is he kept the dog and it was a small part yeah. of green carpet that he didn't get rid of and they was able to match the dog hair and the green carpet. So they was able to match that. I think it was to 12 it was the 12 victims they they was able to match the dog hair yes. from 12 and like 5 for the carpet fiber or something like that but out of the 12 and the 5 two yeah. of them were the adults and then also you got to point out the adults didn't mm-hmm. kill I think they was like something crazy like 5, 5, 5, 7 like a buck 50 so they were small like they wasn't Big guys. Yeah, they was they was small and young. Yeah. Yeah, so like even so I think that from when they had the press conference towards the end and they was talking to the one cop, they was like, Well, they're not charging them for the kids. And he was like, Well, we know that he could get off on some of the kids because we don't yeah. have enough, but we got a ton of evidence on these two adults, so at least we could get this person off the street. Right. So what people also got to realize is, even though this dude, I think he, I think he died a couple years ago, like two years ago, like like around the time, those uh all that stuff started coming out. No, I think I think he's still living. You sure? I th- I thought that, I thought they said he died, but whether he didn't know he did. For, um, people got to realize those. 27 kids, those cases is still in an open investigation. Just like the damn Zodiac murders. Still yeah. an open investigation. Like, this shit ain't over. Like, they don't have a... Like, even though in both cases they have a prime suspect, but there's nothing that's really going to be done about it. So those families still have to deal with the grief of like, okay, there is somebody locked up for it, but then a lot of them still feel like, yo, we don't feel like Wayne did it, you know? So there's absolutely no closure in it. And then I also like the whole part of when, yeah. when, when they was telling Wayne and Wayne went to this restaurant <laughs> And they tried to hang, they tried to hang back, and then Wayne come out the drive through, then pull over, and then get yeah. him a burger and fries. He's like, I thought y'all might be hungry. That ain't even he was the funny too cool, part, man. He was too the cool. Funny, the, no, the funny part is, Tinch was hungry. <laughs> Tinch <got two laughs> he was eating that shit. And then when they went back to Wayne's house, he was in there eating the burger. Wayne was just sitting in front of the house eating the burger. I thought that shit was fucking hilarious. Yeah. But I was like, hey. Tish was like, yo, shit, I'm hungry. Like, you know, he bought us some Hell food. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know what I'm saying? They they got him. Uh, he is still living, though. He is still living. Oh, okay. Um, and then they finally, they finally show, you know what I'm saying, where uh, Holden go back to the, to the mothers and, you know what I'm saying, talk to them. And they, you know what I'm saying, you can kind of see they got some sort of closure off of uh, everything that happened. 
Yeah, but then when he went to see those mothers, there were like the mayor and all these type of people was on TV and she looked at him and said, like, look, there goes the victory lap. And he was like, well, mm-hmm. we're going to have people that are still, he was like, I'm leaving, but we're still going to have people here that are still going to be looking into things and stuff like that. And so they get, um, they was able to fly back private. And so they're talking to um, they a new dude that's at the head of everything. And he's like, hey, you know, we're pulling all of our guys and like, hey, you know, take the victory lap and all of that. And Hogan's like, like, shit, five minutes ago, we said we were leaving some people here. And like now yeah. everybody's leaving. And it's just like, we we got the person for it. But do you think, okay, let me ask you this. Do you think that, so the kids thought like, like you, like the logic you used earlier, like the kids stopped coming up and missing. That's the whole little thing of like, let's, let's. Well, they, they never did. They never, it was actually still murders after that. And see, that's the, that's the interesting thing because what we tend to notice about serial killers are people idolize them mm-hmm. and then they become copycats. Yeah. So that's the one strange thing. Like, even when it came to the Zodiac killer, there was people who tried to, who, there was there was cases in New York, New York City, where it was they was copycatting yep. the Zodiac killer, and they was doing the same yeah. exact things that he was doing in California. They were doing the same shit in New York. So it's like, yeah, for somebody to have the itch to wanna, I don't know, kill somebody or go rogue or, or I don't know, whatever's going on in their life. That's the perfect way to do it is to mm-hmm. like, all right, well, I'm going to copy what somebody else is doing because that'll also throw the cops right. off by like, yo, if I, if I do the shit the same as that way this person did, they're not going to know what to do and they're going to question all the work that they did before. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, still, it's still like one of those type things where it's like, it's hard to get a definite answer because it's like whether whether it was Wayne or if it wasn't Wayne, if there was somebody that was out to prove a point and became like a copycat, it it could have yeah. been it could have been ah I, I can't think of like the the word that I wanted to use, but it, it it's still it's still interesting, man. But I, I think that to bring this into this series, yeah, I think that it just made like I thought season one. I mean, now season one is good. Don't get me wrong; like season one is great, but like season two just turned out mm-hmm. to be phenomenal. And yeah, because it, it, it brought it's a lot more. Just really a testament. Two. Yeah, and it was a testament of like them. Like season one, season one was like the blueprint. And like season mm-hmm. two is the house being built. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So I thought I thought that I thought that they did a really great job, man. Everybody that was a writer on the show, they they deserve some props. For sure, for sure, man. So man, uh we gonna get into the rating, man. It's fire flame time, man. Um what what do you what are you rating this thing? Uh 
I think I mentioned this before when we did Hunters. I think that you judge mm-hmm. you judge series differently than you would judge in movies. And I think that they was able to yep. do they, they crossed every T and they dotted every I. I mean, like we never even got yeah. back to Wendy Carr. Like they even resolved that situation. Like Wendy yeah. ended up breaking up with that girl because she overheard her talking to her ex-husband and her husband. You went mute, bro. All of this type stuff. And so she breaking that off. Tench went home and saw that his wife, because I remember, because throughout the season, she was like, you know, I, I would like to move. I would like to move. And he kept putting yeah. it off and putting it off and all this type of stuff. I considered it. And, and it, it was something that she said that was important. She was like, I'm thinking about leaving the couch. She was like, I don't mm-hmm. want to move into a new place with that old couch. And then Pitch get home after the child murder thing is over and she left. And so I feel like yeah. every answer, everything that we wanted to know, they answered it. I say all that to say, yeah. I'm giving this series a fire, fire flame. I, I don't think it was anything else. That, I don't have any criticisms. I think that they did this very well. And I don't know if they got the material to do a third season. I feel like this might be something where it's like, as great as it is, two seasons might tell you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Um, not going to lie, though, I, I would be interested in seeing if they could do a third season. But if they leave it at two seasons, I also wouldn't be mad. Um, for me, man, I think the um, the Battle of the Wits is what got me. I think anytime you have a, a series like this where you got, you know what I'm saying, a lot of intellectual, um, you know what I'm saying, situations going on, that's, it, it instantly grabs me. Um, the serial killers automatically grabbed me because we got to see some sort of personality out of them. We got to see, you know what I'm saying, what they were kind of like or what they would have been like. For me, the Charles Manson thing really threw over the edge because I I watched a a bunch of Manson interviews and just reading up on him and the whole Helter Scuffing the intelligence that some of these guys had and you know what I'm saying the comparison between them and Holden and then you know what I'm saying you got to see the like you said just everything kind of you know what I'm saying come together there was no stone left unturned you know what I'm saying there was no loose ends or none of that everything was basically um finished up everything was solved everything was out the way um I would have liked to see a lot more of, of Dr. Carr I think that she he um I think that she could have, you know what I'm saying, had a very significant, you know what I'm saying, role in some of the things in Atlanta. But, you know what I'm saying, like, for the most part, I think that it was it was a very interesting and captivating show. The actors did a, a phenomenal job. The young lady who played the hotel uh, clerk, the young black lady, she did an amazing job, um, especially them having to play in a timepiece. You know what I'm saying? You don't really get actors to be able to play in a timepiece and really captivate the time, so... I think that they did great in that, man. So for me, I'm giving it five out of five. 
Yes, sir. We see eye to eye on this. And even, yes, even, yes, even the points that you made, like there's there's something to like there's they know we having a fascination with with the serial killers, like yeah, you know, and, and to keep giving us like these type of series, these type of documentaries, these type of movies, and all this type of stuff, like mm-hmm. it's something that's you know that people watch a lot of. They just like that new joint on Netflix where my man killed his killed his wife and kids because yeah. he met another girl. It's like you know that thing it, it blew up like it was number one on Netflix instantly. So mm-hmm. like to, to to put a show like this, and I think that I like shows that that make you think. And yeah, this this gave it to you. Like it's it's a it's a psychological thriller, drama, fucking like it's, it's murder it's, mystery. Yeah, it's like it's like everything like all tied up in the one, and then when you write it right, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's all the recipes of a great show, man. Yeah, yeah, man. So, um, I think that's it, bro. Um, you guys could check me out at Scoots Bronson on Twitter. You can check me out Scoots Bronson underscore TV um, on Instagram. You can also check out Scoots Bronson TV. Um, on YouTube, make sure you check me out at 15 Minutes of Fame. I got another dope episode coming up, but make sure you go check out the one I got with Cheese Navy. And um, yeah, that's all I got, man. What's up, bro? Oh, man, just uh, check out the Stolen Time Pod and uh, S.Foster8 on Instagram. S.Foster8 is also on Twitter. Uh, the Stolen Time Podcast page on, on Facebook. Um, go check out the 28 minutes or less, man. Like, um, I'm trying to build up that podcast as well, you know, to get it up there. Like, the, um, like the Stolen Time podcast. I'm, I'm being more consistent with the 28 minutes or less. So be on the lookout for new episodes with that. Um, and that's on all major platforms. So uh, that's all. That's all I got to plug, man. That's what's up, man. Make sure y'all subscribe to this if you're uh, just now listening. And make sure y'all hit that subscribe uh, button on YouTube, man. And um, yeah, man, you know what I'm saying? Like they say in Hollywood, man, that's a wrap. Good.